I think that if anyone tells you this is the only way to write, that's one of the worst pieces of advice you could ever hear. So there are strategies that can help you write. There are tips that can help you write. But ultimately, we all have to find our own process. There can be implicit knowledge that can be attained from someone who spends years and years and years of stories that can help you explicitly understand that. But sometimes knowledge about how to write or how to write better helps someone. And sometimes it doesn't. It's, again, like not a one shoe fits all. You have to find what works for you and what helps you. And if something doesn't work for you, then you pivot. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career. I'm Abigail K. Perry, a book coach and certified developmental editor who's eager to help you learn how to not only find the best literary agent, but also blend business with passion. Normally on the podcast, you do one or two things. I interview a literary agent to help you with that research process. And then some of the other episodes that I do are deep dive analysis into first chapters, where I look at the first chapter and see how it speaks to both the big picture and the small picture of the story in order to help you with your first pages and ideally your craft. Today, I want to do something different. I debated about doing this because I didn't know if I was going to be able to do this justice, but I just wanted to share these lessons that this author taught me because they helped me with my writing and to get back to my writing. And I want to help you with your writing and get back to your writing too, if you have been wanting to write but haven't been able to do it in a while. And it just was an amazing presentation that I think speaks to both life and writing lessons that could help really any individual who is exploring a creative process. To make sense of that all, what I'm going to talk about today are some tips that I journaled after attending the speaking presentation of the best-selling author, Frederick Backman. If you don't know, his book, The Winners, it's the third in his Beartown trilogy, was released in September. Right now, it's October 8th, 2022, and I am filming this. And I believe it was a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks now, that I attended his presentation. And it was a presentation that I think really speaks to his character as well, because he didn't even go to Boston, the major city that I was near, he decided to speak at a small local bookstore that I adore, an unlikely story. And I just really thought it spoke to his humility and character. So right away, I was fascinated by that. He's really famous for a lot of his stories. And I've collected a lot of his stories because the jacket covers of all of his stories have always really grabbed me. And I couldn't really believe it that I haven't read them. I haven't prioritized reading them until I saw that he was coming to the bookstore. I think part of the biggest draw of the Fred McMacken stories are that they are very human stories. They speak to the entire being of every character. And in a really fascinating way, I mean, his writing in general is just some of the best prose I've ever read from a contemporary author. And now having read his stories, I can't get what he said out of my head. And I wish that I could tell him in person what his words meant to me and how they've inspired me. He journaled them. He read pages flipping. I called it 10 writing and life tips from Frederick Backman that changed my life. I hope that they move you and lift you up. So the first one is give it everything you got. Frederick shared how he gave the Beartown series absolutely everything he had. I was actually reading in the acknowledgement sections. He addresses the readers and he says, finally, to you who have read the whole of this saga, I'd just like to say that I hope it gave you something because I gave it absolutely everything I had. 
Thank you for coming along for the ride. I love this because it expands into our writing. It can give us that reminder of what we need to do on the days that it's hard, on the days that we're tired. Can we find a way of figuring out what giving it everything we had is for us in that day? I don't think that there's one definition for what giving it everything you had means. I think that is a case-by-case basis and that giving it everything you had is going to change throughout your life as well. But finding a way, if you really want to write, to learn how to prioritize at least some time and definitely heart and attention to your stories is giving you a chance to explore a little bit more about yourself and what you're trying to say in this world. Whenever that definition is to you to give it everything that you got, don't judge yourself for what that answer is. Be realistic about what that is. For me, I have a toddler and I'm the primary caregiver as well as running my own freelance editing business. I have to be realistic with my time. And sometimes at the end of the night, I'm too tired to focus on my own writing. But I also think that a little bit of joy in me is missing if I don't do that. I was fortunate enough to have another writer friend point that out to me the other day. Then I went to Frederick Beckman's presentation and saw what he puts into his stories and realized that I couldn't use that as an excuse anymore. I couldn't, like I said, and no one has the same situations of life. We all come into this world with our own lives and our own priorities and things like that. But if you really want to write, I think that you can do it. I think that you can set small goals and start reaching those goals. The second point I wanted to share is something that I really took out of it, took away from him as a as an invaluable piece of advice on how to write characters, which he's just a master of, and that's to care about your characters. <laughs> it's it's so beautiful to just care about your characters. You care about the people in your life. Why wouldn't you care about your characters? And it's not to just plug them into a formula. And I'm, I realize this more and more, and I even tell writers that I think that there's a lot of value in plotting out your story. And I think that there's a lot of value in at the very least writing a back cover before you start your draft. And if you are up for it, expanding into plotting out the main scenes of your story, which tend to be somewhere between like 14 and 20 scenes, I see. And if you can, if you can do that, great, because now you have a bit of a roadmap that can help you on your way. However, all of that is all of that does you a disservice. If you're just now plucking your character into that plot formula, you really need to have a beautiful balance of how character and plot work together, if not how character makes plot work. And I think that that is something that we need to remember because it's very easy to fall into this formulaic way of writing story. And that's when we lose heart and that's when we lose emotion. And through heart and emotion, you are going to connect to your readers. It's not that a plot, a really great plot, isn't going to, of course, capture our readers' attention, probably make them excited, keep them engaged, reading to the end end of your book. But I think if you want to write a masterwork, if you want to reach your readers, you have to invest in your characters. I always like to say, there's character. James Gutfeld, in his book, Our Vision and Self-Editing, talks about characters as chapter one. Plot is chapter two, and they're right up here. I always tell readers I'm holding my hands up, like right neck and neck. And then character is my left, and it's just a little bit higher than plot, just a little bit more important. And as a writing element, it's a little bit more important. But as an element that gives purpose to a story, it's near everything. 
So from Frederick Backman, something that he shared, and I thought this was just a really cool writing tip that he said. He said how he makes his characters, how he develops his characters in a way that makes him care about them. He puts a little piece of someone he knows or someone he's seen into a certain character. And he went on to tell a story about how his mother does this thing where she sweeps invisible dust. I think that's, if I remember that correctly, she goes around, she uses her hand to sweep invisible dust and then she'll get up and like she'll throw it in the invisible trash can and he'll be like, what are you doing, mom? And then they go into like a kind of conversation. But he used that as an example as, I don't know what character it is because I need to read their, all of his books. But basically, he put that in a character. And if you put that in a character, now you can no longer not care about that character because that character means something to you. And it doesn't mean that character is a complete embodiment of his mother or a complete embodiment of another character that you're writing. We are not, you know, I think it's one thing that holds writers back is that they're afraid of what their family and friends are going to think about their stories. Is this our life situation? Is this what you're saying about us? It's never that, right? Because especially if you're writing fiction, we're fictionalizing elements, but we need reasons to care. So if you can take pieces of someone, I believe it was J.K. Rowling that I came across and she said that she puts a little bit of herself in every one of her characters. And I loved Frederick Backman in the sense that he was putting little bits of other people that he loved in characters. And I thought, oh my gosh, literally just made me stand still. I think I probably, in a group of people, said something like, that's brilliant out loud. It's manageable. It's something that we can do intentionally, giving us a reason to care. And then the other thing that he really said is something that I'm going to talk about again in a later point. But he basically said that he, that editors must have to do with so much work with his books because he can't keep the characters that move his story forward. He says he can only keep the characters that he cares about. And again, really brilliant. And it's just funny because as I was reflecting on it, it's like, well, if you care about those characters, it's likely that they are going to move the story forward inevitably. But the whole point was he doesn't just choose it just because it can work. He chooses it because it means something to him. And I think that is without a doubt going to put emotion into the story. And if you care about the story, if you care about what you're writing, if you write it because you believe this is what you're trying to say and not trying to just be super unique or write the story that you think that you should be writing or write the characters you think that you need to fill a, a certain archetype, then I think that you're going to write an honest story. And if you can write something that is honest and gives courage to people, then you're going to write something that's going to connect. The third point I summed up as writing can be lonely work. And this is something that I have felt personally as a writer. The inspiration for this was when Frederick talked about a man called Uba, his debut, and he talked about how he didn't really know personally as experience everything about Uba's character, but he did understand what it was like to be lonely and he could write that. And I think that this is, at least this is something that I've had to reflect on a lot because I'm really fortunate in my life. I've had a lot of privilege in my life. I have a lot of people that I love very much. and. As writers, we can still feel lonely. As writers, we still sit down at a laptop by ourselves and type. And that comes with sacrifices. I know I've made them before. That means that sometimes you don't go hang out with friends. Sometimes that means that you don't go to family events. And, and it is hard. And you have to protect that writing time. It doesn't mean that you don't love any of those people. You don't love spending time with them less. But sometimes 
you have to find a way to put your words down on paper and to be with yourself. And being with yourself can come with a sense of loneliness. I also think it's equally important to not allow ourselves to get lost in the loneliness. And remember that writers only succeed when we work with each other, when we reach out to each other, when we stop in each other's competition, and when we lift each other up. And giving back, especially when time is your greatest asset. We also need to understand the line of when we need to take time for ourselves and when we need to give that time back. And you need to do both. I think you need to do both. I also think that basically the idea of being lonely is something that hits home for a lot of authors and a lot of writers because it feels like lonely work. What's amazing is that that work doesn't have to be as lonely as I think that we, at least like starting out writers, feel it is. And while, yes, like at the end of the day, it's, it's your story in your head that you're now figuring out how to communicate to others, there are other relationships that you can have that are going to help bring that story into the world in the best version that it can be. So again, when you buy a book, it's the published version. It's the best version of itself. But there's a reason why there are so many names in the acknowledgement section. Okay, the fourth point is it takes a village. And look at that. Segwayed <laughs> pretty naturally there. So Frederick talked about his wife in particular. And first of all, I just loved the love he has for his wife and children. It was so genuine, the way he talked about his wife and his children. And also his wife sounds like an awesome, strong-willed woman, which I love. And he also has a dog that he talked about. And that's the other thing. <laughs> Maybe when you go back to when you, when you get lonely, if you're feeling like you're lost in your head, he just likes to go to the park and throw a ball with his dog. <laughs> I think it's good to take breaks. Anyway, his wife just seems like a super cool person. But one thing that he talks about how a misunderstanding about him is that it seems like he knows what he's doing, but he doesn't know what he's doing as a writer. And, and I think that means that, you know, you have to take time to be with your stories and figure out what, you, what you're writing and whatever that writing process looks like for you. I think another thing that's really daunting for writers is that to be a published writer and to be a career author means that you can't just write your books. You have to do all this other stuff. On top of that, you have to do platform building. You have to do a lot like social media presences and stuff, stuff like this, stuff that like writers usually despise. I know I get really uncomfortable with it. I'm terrible with my social media, you know, and just really struggle with that. And I think a lot of writers do too. Also, he talked about the idea of when he was a success, how people want to buy film rights and TV rights and, and, and stuff like that and expanding his stories and having it be produced and distributed different mediums. And making those decisions are so difficult because when you have spent so much time pouring your soul into something, it's very hard to see how it might change. So he just, his wife came in and she said, you know, if you want, like you just concentrate on your writing and I will run the business. And she just makes all those decisions for him. And it's just really beautiful that first of all, he's paired with a personality that just completely understands him and does that for him. I just love that they're a team. And then he went into a, Tom Hanks's starring in the American version of A Man Called Uba coming out this December 2022. I think he said it's a man called Otto is what it's going to be called. But film adaptions make different decisions on how the story is told for specific reasons. And of course, like I'm always going to be team the book is better than the movie. 99.9% of the time. But I think that it's foolish to say that you don't reach more people and touch more people with your stories if you don't adapt it into a mass-consumed medium like, like television and film. Not that it has to be. You do what you want to do. It's, it, you should only do what you want to do. 
But basically, Frederick decided that he wanted to share those stories, but he didn't want to make the decisions about them. So his wife stepped in and said, I'll run the business. And even when he watched, he talked about how he watched the the film version of A Man Called Otto, how he just needed to walk and process and reflect. And his wife would just tell everyone after the end, okay, he's going to walk away. He's going to go process this and things like that. And, you know, it just, it, it goes back to the, what they always say is that once you publish a book, then it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the readers. So I think that it takes a lot of bravery and courage to share his stories in whatever way that is. And I think that it is absolutely amazing that he's found his person that also can help them distribute that in a way that he can trust. I think that as writers, you need to surround yourself by people that appreciate you and understand you and that you can trust. And also for yourself, decide what feels best to you and when you want to let things go and when you want to have a little bit more say in what's happening. Again, it's not a one shoe fits all, but I just thought it was kind of cool that he shared that. The fifth point is write the story you need to write, not what you think it needs to be. Love this one. And even challenges like some things that I've been trained. I just love things that always make me challenge writing in the way that it's constantly a reminder that there is no one way to writing. And I really believe that. I think that if anyone tells you this is the only way to write, that's one of the worst pieces of advice you could ever hear. So there are strategies that can help you write. There are tips that can help you write. But ultimately, we all have to find our own process. There can be implicit knowledge that can be attained from someone who spends years and years and years of stories that can help you explicitly understand that. But sometimes knowledge about how to write or how to write better helps someone. And sometimes it doesn't. It's again, like not a one shoe fits all. You have to find what works for you and what helps you. And if something doesn't work for you, then you pivot. But anyway... This idea of why Frederick Beckman shared this is because he never knows what genre he's writing. And I love that because I think that like Savannah and I, if you watch the, if you ever listen to the Harry Potter episodes for the first chapters, we talked about content genres and commercial genres. And commercial genres are a completely different thing. It's a marketing thing. Editors are going to help you with that. Publicists are going to help you with that. And then content genres can be tools of, okay, this is kind of the story type. Like this is something that we're writing and these are some stories that are doing some of the big things of genre-ish elements that are reflective of what your story is trying to do. But genre blending is is what where I tend to gravitate with my favorite types of stories when I see, especially, especially when an author pays attention to the emotional character arc as much as the external plot that's happening for me, for my stories that I love. They have to be a perfect balance of the two and the subplots and things like that. But basically, I thought it was just a really funny comment because he said that, once again, once he published, then the publishers were like, OK, this is the genre that you are. that you are. So this is what you're writing. And he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know that I was writing a genre, which means that I do think, again, there are tools. There are tools that can help you figure out some of the things that your story might be missing. Your story might feel like it's falling flat in some way. And if it is, there are tools that you can look at with content genre to ask yourself, okay, this is kind of what a lot of these story types do. Or are there any elements or conventions or like major scenes, obligatory scenes that you're missing from these that could give your story more oomph? If the answer is yes, then of course, incorporate it, explore it, right? If your answer is no, I think I've done that. Maybe you just have to speak, you have to look something else. Maybe it's not the genre that's holding it back. Maybe it's character or setting or theme. Is it connecting to how the story is unfolding? Things like that. So ultimately, I think that there's value in understanding your genre, but I wouldn't pigeonhole yourself in the sense of being afraid of genre blending. 
as long as everything can work together. The sixth point I wrote down is it can be done if you believe in yourself. This is kind of probably what I should have written as my 10th point, but I wrote it as my sixth one for whatever reason. And I share it because I waited the extra hour, hour and a half after the presentation to get it per- my book, The Winners Personalized by Frederick. And I told him, you have inspired me to write again, the way that he writes, the emotions that he made me feel that I wanted to explore in my life that I had been missing by not writing. You've just inspired me to do that. And he looks me straight in the eye and he said, I hope you never give up on it. And he also said to me, and I said, you know, I really love your characters. And again, straight in the eye. And he said, thank you for sharing that. I always loved to hear when I can inspire people. I hope that I showed you that it can be done. And I think, you know, I was pretty nervous when I was talking to him. I, I'm someone who has to walk away and process things. And I think that my ner- my nervousness of talking to him, I probably was like, ah. But basically, I I responded to him and I said, well, I think that you make something that takes great effort seem effortless. I wish I had said to him, you do make it seem possible, even though it seems effortless or something like that. You know, he has modeled that it can be done because great stories can be done when we spend time and attention to them. They also can be done when you believe in yourself and when you have the support systems in your life to encourage you and when you don't have those to continue to push yourself. So I think that our stories first and foremost start with ourselves and what we can give to it, but they're only created in full if we don't give up on ourselves as we create them. The seventh point, I just labeled it as long as you read. It came from a question in the audience, and I think it was someone in education, and they asked, I think they worked in the high school setting, and she said that she likes to recommend Frederick Macken's books to her students because they explore so many things that are an emotional ride for people, especially trying to figure out their emotions. The Beartown series includes things of of community, and Beartown includes a rape that deals with sexuality, lots of things. It deals with traumas, it deals with deaths, it deals with grief and deals with sports and teammates and things like that. So basically, I'm doing a terrible job at uh, giving you detailed notes about Beartown. But my point is that she was asking what else he would recommend to read, to uh, particularly the middle grade in high school. And his immediate response was, well, I hope you're telling them to read other books as well, which I loved. Yeah, like he's just saying, like, this isn't the only type of stories. We all have to find our stories. And then he expanded into a story about how the best thing that his mother ever did for him was to drive him to libraries and how he'd even try to use, let's go to the library as like a, a decoy sometimes to get somewhere else. Because if they stopped at the library, then then maybe she'd want to do something else. But my point being with this was that, first of all, he said, I know bookstores are great, but the thing about a bookstore is that you have to go into a bookstore and you have to pick one. And the beauty about a library is that you go into a library and you can open up anything. And that was so right and just really again like put me in awe a little bit how he translated this something that I really felt into simple words and then he talked about how when he was younger he read comics all the time once he was with his mother he's reading his comics and there was a very judgmental woman that came up and was basically scolding the mother for letting her son Frederick read comics he said his mother looks right at that woman and she said I don't care what he reads as long as he reads. And he said that that was the best thing that she could have ever done for him. The whole room literally did an, oh, like it, it's just a, 
it's an amazing point. And I believe true because as human beings, we learn and grow because of stories. We learn to become more human. We learn to have empathy for others because of stories. And it doesn't matter if that comes in the form of television or film. Even Frederick said, you know, it doesn't matter if it comes through games, television or film, whatever it is. Eventually, if they're a writer, they'll probably come to books because you have the most imagination. He said you can cast your own cast. And it's about encouraging us to explore and nourish our imaginations. And through that, we can find a way to connect and communicate with others and understand ourselves and others. It's really amazing. I will be carrying that one for the rest of my life. Point number eight piggybacks off that. So nourish, I just kind of said it, nourish your imagination. And basically, I just kind of did an overlap, I guess, of, of seven and eight. Seven was about as long as you read and eight is about nourish your imagination. So that idea of children and any age, whatever it is, discovering stories through the medium that connects them most. I don't care if you're a writer or not, if you're an editor, if you're an agent, if you're a book coach, if you're not even in the publishing world, if you have no desire to ever pick up a book, if you can find a way to connect to some story on some level, you should stop and question why, why did I feel so connected to that one? And allow yourself to be in that moment and explore that part of yourself because something about it is trying to teach you something. And I wish you every beautiful, supportive, nurturing hope that you find whatever that is and embrace it. The ninth point is to find a story that is human. And I've talked a lot about being human. I think that Frederick Beckman, he's my favorite author that I've ever seen in person. I'll put it out there. It was this amazing thing where even when he didn't really get a clear, direct question, it was kind of this idea of him being able to answer just by being human, just like basically by like letting his soul, his values, his beliefs, his honesty just pour out of him in a way that I would watch the audience. There are these two women in front of me and I saw them nodding and I saw myself nodding and I'd go over at my sister Lon. She'd be laughing in moments that he was funny. And he just does this thing where he allows you to cry and laugh at the same time. And that's what life is, right? Like the messy imperfections of life. But anyway, like finding that story that's human the reason why this point came into play was because he was talking about how he was talking to hockey coaches. And it was really funny. He talked about how like the publishers, the editors are like, couldn't you write about a sport that isn't just favored in six countries? <laughs> Can you soccer or something like that? Right. But no, like it had to be about hockey. And he talked about how when he was walking, I hope I don't butcher this saying, this motto or the saying that he used, but basically he talked about how he was talking to a hockey coach and the hockey coach talked about how he said there's this common saying that they say about locker rooms and he says like there are thick walls and high ceilings in other words not everything stays in the locker room site so i really hope i'm not saying that wrong but basically fred Brackman was like this this can't be a common saying and then he went out and anyone who was not involved in hockey didn't know that saying but anyone who was in hockey understood that saying and he said ah and that's where my story is. As we're looking for story, trying to figure out the heart of what makes something human, to understand why something works the way it does, and to explore how everything that happens to that character is motivated by their wants and needs and anything that connects to a plot that advances that story forward is because of what has made the character who they are to the moment that the story starts. And when you can do that, when you can make it human, 
then I think you have an opportunity to create plot that comes with conflict, an interesting conflict that is challenging for a character to face, whatever they are trying to achieve with their goals, but ultimately always goes back to the purpose of why the story exists to begin with, which is to see what changes that character and moves them. Not only do they or do they not achieve their goal, but also within them, how have they changed as a human being from beginning to end? Okay, my 10th and final point that I wrote down was, he said, I write about small universes. Again, like if you want an example of strong characters, this is, this is his books are the ones to go to. But the idea of writing about small universes and how astoundingly simple and beautiful that observation was, and again, how he communicated that, reminded me of exactly what I am trying to do and why I'm so so drawn to these emotional journeys and stories, especially in the upmarket fiction or genre blending stories, or if I like an action story, a fantasy story, why that fantasy story does nothing for me unless the characters are equally as strong. But basically the idea of small universes, so the relationships of the people, and maybe this was a personal point to me because this is exactly what I'm trying to do, but basically, I wanted to say this works because we all exist in a small universe. We all have communities and we all long for communities, whatever that is, whatever the messiness of that is, whatever the, the beautiful joys that come with that are. And through our small universes, we learn what moves us, what inspires us, what breaks us, and what allows us to carry on to push forward and to heal. I think it's in, a, in Us Against You, they talked about how the people of Beartown, they understand like that life is hard and that we can get to places in our lives where we just, we don't want it to be that hard anymore. We don't want to be as broken and battered as we get to be, as sometimes life can make us feel. But through that, we are also durable and resilient and we can learn how to survive. Maya and Anna talk about we are survivors. And sometimes that survival doesn't seem like it's possible, but we can do it when we look into ourselves and when we can connect to the small universe that helps shape us as well. We all laugh and we all love and we all have our hearts broken and we all lose people and we all suffer. And there can be unbearable amounts of grief and there inevitably will be at some point in your life but I want you to remember, especially in your writing, that if you are holding on to how a small universe operates within your stories, you are going to explore not only how one character changes, but how all are changed and impacted by each other in their own little monstrous ways. And that's where stories lie. So there you have it. 10 writing and life tips from Frederick Backman that changed my life. I know that they probably were a little bit more ambiguous than sometimes some of the episodes that I have, especially like first chapter deep dive analysis. I'm usually giving you some more like practical tips on what to do and how to analyze stories. But today I just wanted to step back because if you can take away anything from this episode, I think that you can take away that it's important to explore a little bit about why you are writing something and who you are writing that story about. <laughs> and to, to go off of that again, why you're writing it about that character. Because if you don't know that, then you probably won't have something that means enough to you to finish it. When you can figure that out, who you're writing a story about and why you're writing it about them, 
or maybe the community that you're writing about and why you're writing it about them. And if you care about them, then I think you can figure out how to take all the other many complicated things of writing and figure out how to look at them, not as everything you have to do at once, but what you can do a little piece at a time. And through that, focusing on little aspects of your writing, accepting that multiple drafts will have to be done. The process can become manageable, just like living can not only become manageable in an unfair world, but purposeful. When we learn what it is about us that we want to give back and serve others with, and when we accept that our life process is a never-ending opportunity to grow. I feel inspired to write again. I'm nervous and excited at the same time. And as always, I'm genuinely excited and always will be to support your writing process and to celebrate your efforts and your books that come out because of it. Yes, sitting at a computer can be a lonely process, but you are not alone in every step of the writer's journey. And I applaud you for spending time with your emotions and exploring them. I can't wait to celebrate those books when they come out and sincerely believe that you never know who you're going to touch. So please, please, if writing is the path for you, do not give up on yourself. If I could look you in the eye, like Frederick Mackman looked into mine and said, I hope you never give up on that. Know that I'm doing that now, even though it's an empty computer to me that I'm talking to, I'm really talking to you. Hold on to that. And if you need help, reach out to your writing communities. Me included in that will support you to the end. But thank you, Frederick Backman, in case you ever hear this episode. I wish I could put into words everything that you did for me that night that you came to an unlikely story. And I hope that I can spread the word to others. And thank you to you. The listeners out there of Lit Match, I really appreciate your support. I've been seeing more comments on Facebook and on Instagram that have shared the podcast. I so appreciate this. One of these, I just want to share it with you real quick, was from Christy Leonard on Facebook. And she said, if you haven't heard of the Lit Match podcast, you are missing out. Abigail K. Perry does these fantastic first page analysis of books with the goal of helping writers. I listened to the one with great interest because she interviews the author and editor. Have you read Counterfeit? This is so insightful. And then she shared the episode of the first chapter's analysis of Counterfeit. I was so fortunate to be able to do a deep dive analysis with the author of Counterfeit, Kristen Chen, bestselling author, and her executive editor, Jessica Williams. I just really appreciate any time that you can share, anytime you can spread the word like that. It helps me reach more writers who are in need of assistance in either the literary agent research process or the writing process. I want to help contribute and build to your community. So thank you, Christy. And thank you to anyone else who takes time to rate and review the show. If you ever have feedback for something that you'd like to see in LitMatch, or if you have feedback on ways to improve LitMatch, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at abigailkperry at gmail.com or visit my website, www.abigailkperry.com. Until next time, happy writing. Persevere through the query process if you are in the query trenches persevere through the writing process if you're in the writing process. I can't wait to hear from you, especially if you find that literary agent who is the best match for you. And like I've said before, celebrate your book when it comes out.